The first year Kina Hudson remembers it being really smoky in the Bay Area was 2018. I remember walking to get like a coffee and just the ash coming down and people, you know, had the N95 mask out and I was like, that's weird. Hudson has been living in the San Francisco Bay Area since 2002. She says it didn't used to get smoky in the summer, but now it's pretty bad every year. I'm from Oklahoma and we have tornado season. We call it the fifth season. And so it was like, wow, that's, we're gonna have a fifth season here in California. The smoke season. Hudson says the thing that makes the smoke hardest for her and her family is that her younger son has asthma. There were some times when he was uh, coughing and rushed to the hospital. And then there were two incidences actually where he, where he had to be hospitalized for about a night or two, which were really terrifying. I feel a little traumatized by the things I've been through with him, you know, staying in the hospital or being told that he might need to be intubated. You know, that ages you. This is the Undark Podcast. I'm Lydia Chain. Record wildfires raged across the West this summer and early fall. Those fires burned forests and homes. They killed more than 30 people, and they inundated cities with smoke. Smoke blanketed the Bay Area for weeks. Parts of Oregon saw hazardous air quality in early September, and Western Washington breathed smoke from Eastern Washington, Oregon, and even California. The smoke would have been a public health crisis on its own, but this year, it arrived in the middle of another crisis, a respiratory pandemic. Elise O'Neill has the story. Kina Hudson says the summer of 2019 felt apocalyptic. My husband was traveling and I was at home with the boys and it was just very like the end of the world feeling. I mean, it was just the smoke was so bad, the ash. Hudson wanted an air purifier so her asthmatic son could sleep comfortably and safely. I remember calling all over the Bay Area and then there was this one store that had one left. I remember pleading with him saying, you know, I have um, at the time like a six-year-old with asthma, like I really need it. And they had thrown pity on me and agreed to save it. It took Hudson 10 minutes to drive over. I remember leaving the kids at home and running to the coal hardware store and coming home and plugging it in and like putting towels around the doors and the windows and just thinking like, we're kind of like trapped in here, you know, like the air's not safe to breathe. Hudson's younger son is seven years old now. My name's Clark. My, my nickname's Clark. My first name's Clarence. I like to swim. And my favorite food's orange chicken. And I love to read. But what Clark does not love is when it's smoky outside. I just don't really like it. And I sneeze and cough a lot. I'm really allergic to dust. Does it make it harder to breathe? Sometimes. What do you use? What do we do? You want to show her these? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. This is, um, this one is to open the air. And this one is the medicine. As smoky summers became the new normal all up and down the West Coast, cities like Seattle and San Francisco tried to put better systems in place so that even if the summer felt apocalyptic, at least their most vulnerable residents were somewhat protected from the smoke. 
But they didn't plan on dealing with a smoke wave in the middle of a pandemic, which has made the situation more dangerous and all their planning harder and sometimes completely moot. This year, cities scrambled to try to protect residents from smoke. Dan Jaffe is an environmental chemistry professor at the University of Washington in Bothell. These very small particles, which are the major ingredients in smoke, are the ones that we are able to inhale. They get deep into our lungs. They're the ones that cause the greatest health effects. And these are the ones that EPA regulates. Jaffe's research suggests that Hudson is right. Summer air pollution is getting worse in the western United States. We've actually made fantastic success here in the United States at cleaning up our air. It's one of the great environmental success stories. But in the West, this region, is we're seeing this increase in fires and the increasing in smoke. And what that's doing is offsetting the otherwise gains that we've made in the United States. There's this big red bullseye centered on the western United States where the air quality gains have been offset. And we're actually getting worse because of wildfires. In 2018, Jaffe published a study looking at exactly how much worse the air pollution is getting. Think of the seven worst days a year. We're seeing a statistically significant increase in the concentrations of those seven worst days a year. The seven worst days are getting worse. We are seeing these effects now. They're very clearly linked to climate change. That's because with climate change, summers in the West are getting hotter, drier, and longer, making forests more likely to burn. Cora Sack is a pulmonologist at the University of Washington in Seattle. She researches the health effects of air pollution, and she works with patients with lung problems, many of whom work outside and can't get out of the summer wildfire smoke. They have an increased, at least, burden of symptoms um, when it's smoky days, and we strategize about ways that they can help reduce that. Sack says the negative effects of chronic air pollution are well known, but research on the health impacts of short-term smoke exposure is still emerging. There are some studies that show acute effects, and researchers are just beginning to look at the long-term effects of either one-time smoke exposures or repeated exposure to wildfire smoke, summer after summer after summer. The kind of more emerging research we're seeing is those acute exposures being linked to cardiovascular disease and then potentially this link with people who are exposed repeatedly to these high wildfire smoke of worse outcomes down the road. Sachs says wildfire smoke is particularly bad for people with chronic heart disease and respiratory problems like asthma, people like Clark Laurier. And it's also very dangerous for the elderly, the very young, and pregnant people. In susceptible people, it can lead to problems with their lungs, in particular people who have chronic lung disease can get exacerbations of that disease. In 2019, Seattle's mayor, Jenny Durkin, recognized that smoke season was here to stay and the city government would need to plan for that. So with great fanfare, she unrolled a plan to protect people from the smoke by opening up public buildings like community centers and event spaces as smoke shelters. If this is the new normal, how do we equip our city so that people living in this city have somewhere safe to be? when the smoke levels are high. Um, so one of the things we're doing is looking at our community centers to see how do we upgrade our HVAC systems so that we actually are screening out the worst of the smoke and toxins. And we've done that, and we've done it here um, in Rainier Beach Community Center. 2019 was the smoke year that wasn't in Seattle. For the first time in several years, the city wasn't enveloped by smoke that summer. But smoke did plague the Bay Area and city officials bolstered existing resources to protect people from the smoke.
Like Seattle, they made a plan to open public buildings as smoke shelters to try to give residents a place to get some relief. Then, in 2020, the fire season broke all over the West Coast in the middle of a global pandemic. Right now, looking outside, you know, the sky is blue, but you definitely see a yellowy orange haze in it. Andrew Kornblatt lives in Berkeley. Like Clark Laurier, he has asthma. It's like looking through a miasma of smog. It's been worse than this. Um, like right now in Berkeley, when you're breathing in without a mask, for me who has asthma, it feels tight, it feels dense, it feels a little smoky and ash-ridden, but there were days where if I breathed in the air, it burned my larynx and it would burn my lungs. It felt unsafe. It's that layering of disaster upon disaster for people with pre-existing respiratory conditions that experts like Cora Sack were worried about. The biggest concern is really the people who are at risk from wildfire smoke are also those people who are going to be at risk from COVID infection. So people with chronic lung conditions or heart conditions, the elderly or people who are immunocompromised, pregnant women. Exposure to air pollution can lead to inflammation in the lungs and cardiovascular system, and it can alter immune responses, perhaps weakening the immune system. There's some evidence that air pollution could lead to more, and worse, cases of COVID-19. And the historical evidence on this front is worrisome. One study in Montana showed an increase in influenza cases following bad seasons of wildfire smoke. Wildfire smoke has really been associated with an increase in severity and number of respiratory infections which does certainly give us pause for a time when there's a pandemic. So because of the pandemic, the wildfire smoke that rolled across the American West this year was expected to be even more dangerous for health than it is in normal years. But the pandemic also made it much harder to protect people from the smoke. A lot of the things we tell people to do when there's wildfire smoke to protect them will put them potentially at greater risk of COVID infections. Sack says, in normal years, public health officials tell people to go to clean air shelters, places like libraries and community centers with air conditioning and HVAC systems to get relief from the smoky air. Those are going to be harder to um, maintain when we want social distancing. And then there's the issue of masks. The cloth masks, which help prevent a lot of your risk of transmission of COVID, do not protect against the size of, of, of smoke particles that we most worry about for health effects. Even if people do feel like they smell less smoke when they're wearing a cloth mask. The masks that do protect against smoke particles are N95s. In past years, SAC recommended that her most vulnerable patients stock up on those. But this year... They just aren't available right now um, because of supply demands for healthcare professionals. Andrew Kornblatt says staying safe from wildfire smoke and from COVID-19 has been a challenge this summer because it means just staying in his house all day. And that's not exactly comfortable. Our house doesn't have air conditioning. So to cool it on hot days, we would open the windows, put fans in the windows and drag in the cool air, push out the hot air to cool down the house for, for the next hot day. But of course, you can't do that when it's smoky outside. So you rely on other elements, such as ice packs, putting up air filters 
we have two of them that we set up in 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 our small bungalow just try and make the air breathable and so that i'm not coughing all the time but we also have two dogs and when it gets up to 90 in the house they're overheating Kornblatt says it's not just hard for his dogs it's hard for him it's very taxing on your mental state you feel trapped your house becomes a sweltering swamp because again you can't get the good airflow in and no matter how many fans you put in it's still not fresh air and at a certain point you think to yourself is this discomfort worth it so one evening in early september cornblad and his wife finally relented and opened up the windows the house did cool down but now all of our stuff smells like smoke the preponderance of homes without air conditioning isn't just a problem in the bay area the pulmonologist Cora Sack says that's true in Seattle as well. A lot of people in Seattle don't have air conditioning, so it sometimes um, makes it harder to stay indoors and shut windows and try to create a safe space. In non-pandemic years, Kornblatt says, he and his wife had a coping mechanism on hot, smoky days. They got out of their house. Coffee shops, anywhere where there is AC and where we can beat the heat. Definitely we would go see like a matinee or definitely we would go to say like a museum and just go somewhere where the air is filtered and it's cool. And we would find any place that we could get out of the house and find a way to have breathable air and not be a sweaty, overheated mess. But... This year, because of COVID, those places are all closed or feel dangerous themselves. This year, we were even considering going to a hotel for a couple of nights that was pet friendly so we could take the dogs, go somewhere that had AC, even just for a night to get relief from it. The more you think about that, the, the more you're like, that that's not sustainable for us, let alone all the other people who are dealing with this mess. Many more people have been stuck in their unair-conditioned houses and apartments this year than in normal years. Cora Sack says people who have homes but don't have air conditioning can do a couple of things to stay safe in the smoke. Whatever people can do to make a clean room inside their house, and there are economical ways to do that. Best case scenario, we'd want people to have a HEPA air filter, which helps purify air and takes away those really small wildfire smoke particles but you can even make cheap versions of those with a box fan and filter on top. Sack says people should also monitor local air quality and also just listen to their bodies. So if they go outside and then they are experiencing irritation of their eyes and are coughing, then, you know, listen and, and stop being doing as much activity. But she says cities would still need public clean air shelters. They would just need to be careful about what they put in place ahead of time reimagining what um, clean air shelters could look like and putting in policies to ensure, you know, people who, who may really need those public air places, like um, people who are homeless and have underlying health conditions that they can have somewhere safe to go and, and putting in safe policies that maintain social distancing and uh, ensuring that public spaces have the correct type of air filters to remove particulates from wildfire smoke. There's also some possible evidence that 
Some of these air purifiers may remove some of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. That reimagining that Cora Sack says would have been needed, that was difficult this year. Seattle officials had moved on from their 2019 smoke preparedness plan to 2020 problems. The pandemic, protests that filled the streets and often shut down the main freeway that runs through town, violence against those protesters, a six-block autonomous zone for a month or so. In short, their hands were full. Shirley Tan is with the Public Health Agency for Seattle and King County. She says the agency was stretched thin this year, and wildfire smoke wasn't their top priority. COVID's probably our biggest priority. And then the heat could come in actually above COVID if we had an extreme heat event, and wildfire smoke would be after that, given that we have limited resources this year and, and people resources. In August, before any wildfire smoke had hit Seattle, Tan said there was no plan to open any smoke shelters this year. Then, in the midst of a terrible smoke wave in mid-September, the city did end up opening one smoke shelter with room for 100 people. That's less than 2% of how many people the city could shelter last year. In the Bay Area, Kina Hudson did let her kids go outside a bit on days that the smoke wasn't as bad. When there's ash falling, like it's like snowflakes, um, I won't let them go outside then. Yeah. But we haven't had ash. It's mostly just been smoke the last few weeks. Yeah. The morning I spoke with Kina Hudson and Clark Laurier, they'd gone to the park behind their house. We might get a date to go behind our house to the um, park. We played pig. It's basically like horse. With basketball? With basketball. San Francisco had many more weeks of smoke than Seattle. A heat wave led the city to open several public buildings as respite shelters from the heat and the smoke. Unlike Seattle's 24-hour smoke shelter, these were only open during the day. Mary Ellen Carroll is the director of San Francisco's Department of Emergency Management. We had less respite relief centers open, but generally speaking, people do not go to them. People really prefer to stay close to home and In particular, what we found is that people will only go to places that they're familiar with. So like if it's the library that I normally go to and I know the staff there or the senior center where I go to have lunch, I might go there. And so we had a particular challenge this year because those places are not open. Carol says only 20 to 25 people used San Francisco smoke respite shelters over the five days they were open. From the beginning of the pandemic, the city had rented hotel rooms for sheltering homeless people, and those hotel rooms provided some shelter from the smoke as well. For those living without any shelter, the city offered N95 masks. For those who have homes, the EPA says the keys to improving indoor air quality are air purifiers, HEPA vacuum cleaners, and window air conditioning units. But not everyone has the resources to buy those, and they can also sell out fast when wildfire smoke arrives. Some agencies in Washington state have distributed box fans with filters attached to them to families living in low-income neighborhoods. But Carol says San Francisco has no programs to provide anything in the way of filters or air purifiers to residents. The one Sunday that it was over 100 degrees in San Francisco and we were at red air quality, and we had zero bump on any of our emergency services, nothing at the hospitals, really no ill effect. So, you know, people have been learning how to take care of themselves during this pandemic. 
Even if there was no bump in how much people in San Francisco used emergency services, research suggests that this year's smoke was very bad for people's health. Researchers at Stanford University estimated that the weeks of smoke in California might have caused more than 1,000 additional deaths there, and quite possibly more than 3,000 additional deaths there. Researchers at the University of Washington estimated that about 120 additional deaths per week could be attributed to 2020 smoke in their state. Kina Hudson says she did her best this summer not to let her sons be exposed to too much smoke. She bought both of them a couple of kinds of masks, which Clark showed to me over Zoom. Do you want to show her, like, what are the difference between the mask that you have? Oh, yeah. Um, this mask is for the smoke, and this mask is for coronavirus. Do you have to wear both? No. You Do you wear them one at a time, depending on whether it's smoky or not? Yeah. <laughs> Show me the one for the smoke again. How do you put it on? Like this. Or just hold it to your face. It's an N95? N? Yeah, like as in Nancy. Oh, N95, like Nancy95. So when we went to go outside, we wore this one if to for the smoke. And then if you have to go see people, we wear this one for the coronavirus. This morning I wore this one. Eilish, thanks so much for bringing us this piece and for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. Is there anything that public health officials learned from dealing with smoke during a pandemic that they can use moving forward in non-pandemic years? I think one of the big things learned is that retrofitting public buildings to serve as smoke shelters might not be the best or even the cheapest solution to protecting people from smoke. Even if there's not a pandemic happening, obviously, it's a big ask for people to come from wherever they are and go to a retrofitted public building and hang out there all day to breathe clean air. And Mary Ellen Carroll with uh, San Francisco's Department of Emergency Management actually told me people are very unlikely to do that, especially if those public buildings are outside of their neighborhood. And what that means is we really need to bring solutions to people where they are. And so that's things like the Washington State program to provide filter fans for people in their homes and other solutions that have been named but haven't really been tried anywhere, like giving people HEPA filters for their homes. We spend a lot of time in the story talking about how to protect people from smoke once it's already here. What can be done to prevent it from becoming a crisis in the first place? When people talk about protecting people from smoke, they first talk about emergency management, so protecting people from smoke once it's already here, and then forest management. Um, And one of the big tools that forest managers have is prescribed burns. And that's when a lot of fuel has built up in one part of the forest, so there's a lot of underbrush and smaller dead trees that will burn and could lead to an 
out-of-control fire if it's ignited in the summer when it's really hot and dry. But if you set it on fire intentionally in the spring, that could be a smaller fire that would then kind of create its own natural fire break or be less likely to ignite under more dangerous conditions. And so that's a tool that forest managers in the West are using more and more. It's actually been used since time immemorial by indigenous groups up and down the West Coast. They would set fires. Um, But this year, a lot of those prescribed burns were canceled because of COVID-19. In the spring, a lot less was known about how the novel coronavirus spreads. And so forest managers kind of played it safe canceled the prescribed burns so that they wouldn't be bringing workers together and into the woods. And as a result, this fire season, there was a lot more fuel built up in forests. And then, of course, the last piece is climate change, which will require a lot of international coordination. It's not something that state agencies can solve on their own, but um, is the biggest piece to how to make sure that the, the conditions do not continue to worsen in terms of how hot and dry and long summers in the West are. Eilish O'Neill is an environmental and health reporter based in Washington. Our theme music is by the Undark team, and additional music in today's episode came from Kevin McLeod at Incompetech. I'm your host, Lydia Chain. See you next month. <laughs>